The World Economic Forum recently hosted the first in-person Davos meeting in more than two years, and you can catch up with the action on our podcast, Radio Davos, which looks at the world's biggest challenges and how we might solve them, long-form interviews on Meet the Leader, and bringing you the complete audio from some of the most fascinating discussions in Davos, Agenda Dialogues. You'll hear some of the world's sharpest minds, like Tom Friedman, who's asked, is globalization dead? If World War I didn't stop globalization, if World War II didn't stop globalization, what makes you think the war between Ukraine and Russia is going to stop globalization? The biggest economists, like the IMF's Gita Gopinath, on the future of economic growth. I've heard people worry about wages going up is a problem because that can feed into inflation. This is to be very clear. Prices going up is inflation. We certainly could see an environment where wages go up, but that doesn't have to necessarily generate a wage price spiral. Psychologist Adam Grant on the four-day week. And we want to plan work around life as opposed to vice versa, which too many of us, particularly in the West, have done for too long. Is the four-day week actually viable? In discussions moderated by A-list journalists challenging the consensus. 2021, we were told that this was transitory inflation. 2022, the beginning of, we were told this is transitory inflation. The causes of that inflation were misdiagnosed. Wherever you get your podcasts, to listen in on the action at Davos 2022, subscribe to Agenda Dialogues. It sort of sounds a bit like science fiction, but it's also actually a fairly almost logical evolution in the sort of trajectory of the internet. Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week, Nick Clegg, President for Global Affairs at Meta, tells us what exactly is the metaverse. We'll be able to talk to each other as holograms, really feeling that we are sitting in the same space, even though we're not physically there. So this real sense of embodied presence. Nick Clegg tells us that while Facebook has become meta, it has no plans to go it alone into this brave new future, where there will be, he says, space for all. Breathe easily. The, the ambition of meta and Mark Zuckerberg is not to create some sort of empire in the sky which will be owned by meta and governed by one company. Far from it. The metaverse will come into being, candidly, regardless of whether we as a company are pinning our colours to it or not. But creating a metaverse where users can travel freely and aren't locked into any company's particular ecosystem will take some work. And that at a time when some people worry about the splintering of the internet itself. There's a danger that we might look back in 10 years time and think that this is actually the high point of the open global internet. We're taking it for granted and once it's gone, I think we will, we will, we will lament its loss. We really will. Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts, leave us a rating and a review, and join us on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club on Facebook. I'm Robin Pomeroy at the World Economic Forum, and with this conversation with Nick Clegg recorded at the Forum's annual meeting 2022 in Davos. It's a very interesting challenge, which certainly keeps me very busy. This is Radio Davos. Radio Davos has just come back from Davos. We were podcasting daily from the World Economic Forum's annual meeting 2022. Please check our previous episodes to catch up on all that. While in Davos, we were grabbing lots of interviews with the people there, leaders from business, international organisations, campaign groups and more. And we'll be bringing you those in the coming weeks here on Radio Davos and also on our sister podcast, Meet the Leader. This week's episode of Radio Davos is one of those interviews. I spoke to Nick Clegg, the former Deputy Prime Minister of the UK and now President for Global Affairs at Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook. He had plenty to say about the metaverse, something which was also highly visible in Davos. Meta and Microsoft both had metaverse experiences in Davos where people could get a taste of what it's like to enter a virtual reality or augmented reality space. But even then, many of us are still left wondering what will this technology really be used for in the coming years. 
This interview was recorded at Davos 2022 and therefore before the news that Sheryl Sandberg is stepping down as Chief Operating Officer at Meta. So let's hear Nick Clegg speaking to me at the Radio Davos booth in Davos. I'm delighted to welcome to Radio Davos, Nick Clegg. Nick, how are you? I'm very well. Um, And now you became President for Global Affairs with seniority right at the top of the company a few months ago. What does that mean and what is it that you actually do these days? Yeah, so as, as as Mark Zuckerberg explained at the time, he he he, you know, it's a big company. It's um, erupted in size in the last decade and a half. Um, as he explained at the time, he he wants to very much devote his time to uh, the most especially to the huge engineering task of helping to build this new computing platform, the so-called metaverse, and really wants to quite rightly focus his uh, energies on that. Um, uh, Cheryl Sandberg, uh, COO. Um, is very much focused on the commercial side of, uh, of things. And, and, you know, we're facing more competition than we ever have uh, before. And as Mark explained at the time, he, he's, you know, he's asked me to really deal with, um, in a sense, the rest. But what I mean by the rest is all the major uh, regulatory policy and other issues that the company faces with. And that, that ranges from me being the sort of senior decision maker on some of those difficult issues like where do we draw the line between free expression and and content that we take down how do we um, operate our platforms at the time of elections through to uh, talking to people and policymakers and regulators about our plans for the metaverse uh, talking to regulators and legislators around the world as they introduce new rules for the for the internet uh, so that you know in a nutshell is the sort of division of, of labor if you like which uh, Mark Zuckerberg explained at the time and um, yeah it's it's a it's a very interesting challenge which certainly keeps me very busy. Let me fire, I really want to talk to you about the metaverse, yeah. meta and the metaverse. But before we do that, I want to fire a kind of a regulatory, potentially regulatory question to you. Um, in January, we had an episode of Radio Davos where we interviewed Stuart Russell, who's a professor, expert of artificial intelligence. And his position is that the algorithms, the social media algorithms, have, and I think I'm quoting directly here, have learned to manipulate people to change them so that in future they're more susceptible and they can be monetized at a higher rate. It's quite an assertion. Mm. Do you agree with it? It's a it's an assertion which is often made and very rarely proven uh, for the very good reason that's not what our algorithms do. It's certainly a sort of fashionable narrative, isn't it, to say that companies like Meta, but we're not alone. You know, the, the accusation is that we use algorithm algorithms to sort of uh, craftily spoon feed extreme and hateful content to people to keep them hooked on our services because that's the way that we can sell ads and so on. Uh, really, every link in that chain is wrong. Uh, actually what our algorithms do. If you took our algorithms away, what is the first thing you'd see more of on Facebook? You'd see more misinformation, more hate speech, because our algorithms actually, amongst other things, act as you know great big sort of swimming pool filters, if you like, trying to filter out, identify and demote exactly the kind of content we don't want to promote. And by the way, for those who keep alleging, and I don't know whether this good professor did so, but it is often alleged that we have a commercial incentive to do so. If you yes, think of it, by the way. Yes, exactly. Okay. That's, that's the, that's, I, I, that's I, the I stand, He didn't mention you by name. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, but I, but I, what I mean is I, I, I can imagine the narrative because it's quite a, it's an oft-repeated one. But if you actually think about it, our commercial incentive is the reverse. Because why would any advertiser who's placing ads online want their ad for soap powder uh, next to a piece of hateful or extreme content? So we don't want it. The people who pay our lunch 
the advertisers don't want it. And crucially, we know from our own research that users don't want it. And look, don't just take my word for it. We now do something which no other social media platform does. We publish every 12 weeks statistics on how we're doing in, in, in algorithmically and otherwise identifying and, and suppressing or sometimes even removing this kind of nefarious content. And we have submitted, no one's done this before, we've submitted our data, which for instance shows that the prevalence of hate, hate speech is now down to 0.03%. That means for every 10,000 bits of content you'd see, if you constantly scroll on Facebook, you'd see three bits of hate speech. I wish it wasn't three. I, I don't think it's ever going to get down to zero, but it's a much, much lower than it was before. Uh, and we have submitted that data to an independent audit. The independent auditor, EY, has has audited it and verified that this is these, these are sound statistics. So I don't candidly believe that this, um, however often repeated it might be, this narrative of how algorithms work on social media um, uh, really withstands much scrutiny. That said, I do think companies like Meta, it is an obligation on us. And we haven't yet done as much as we no doubt will in the years ahead. We do need to explain algorithms better, make them more transparent, give users more control over how, uh, you know, at the moment there is a you can you can literally with a swipe of your thumb you can turn off the algorithm and and, and only see the content of uh, your newsfeed presented to you chronologically. But I do think we'll need to do more of that because transparency really is the is the best way to kind of dispel some of the mythology that has already grown up around algorithms. Okay, from algorithms to meta, then a lot of people never heard the word metaverse before Facebook became Meta. Mm. So. What is the metaverse and what will we be doing in it in one year, five years, 10 years time? Um, well, the metaverse is in many ways, um, it sort of sounds a bit like science fiction, but it's also actually a fairly almost logical evolution in, 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 the, in the sort of trajectory uh, of the internet. If you think that, you know, we used to have desktops and then we had laptops and then we migrated from laptop tops and now we all walk around with a, you know, you know clutching a phone in our clammy hands. And then we, you know, we went from text to photographs and photographs to videos. And now videos is now by far short form videos in particular, hugely popular way by which people communicate and share things. About 50% of the content on uh, Facebook is, is, is video already. Um, and all of that is a move towards greater, it's almost lifelike embodiment. And the metaverse is the, is the sort of natural extrapolation of that, where, where over time, you, you and I would be able to put something on the bridge of our nose, some, some not heavy goggles, there'll be glasses then, maybe with something around your wrist to provide more computing power, and we'd be able to talk to each other as holograms. Um, really feeling that that we that we we are sitting in the same space, even though we're not physically there. So this real sense of embodied uh, presence, um, and and it, it's remarkable. I mean, it sounds very futuristic, but it's it's remarkable how much um, progress has already been made in this in in filling out this dream. I mean, I, for instance, for several months now, I've been holding. Uh, my weekly team meetings with my team around the world in the metaverse. Now, we don't look like holograms. We look like we're sort of slightly cartoon avatar representations of ourselves. I look suspiciously slimmer and and uh, and younger. Um, uh, but that's the avatar I've chosen for, for myself. So it, it, you, you can provide quite a flattering description of yourself. But but it, it, it nonetheless provides a remarkably sort of lifelike experience because the particularly the audio technology is so great. You really do feel that you don't need to raise your voice like people do when they're speaking at a flat screen full of 
you know, people on, on, on Zoom or other, other technologies presented to you in, in those passport squares. Um, so, so the idea is of a sort of embodied presence. And if you, if you can imagine what could be done with that technology in the future, it would, it would obviate the need for mass commuting into offices because we'd be able to work together as if we were in offices together without having to commute physically. Uh, it would allow teachers to take a class of 12-year-olds to walk around ancient Rome. It would allow a, a surgeon to uh, educate a, a group of budding you know, medical students on how to do surgery as if, as if they're right there in the lab. I, I think the applications really are, are very exciting. But you ask in one, five, ten years, this is a long journey. This is not going to happen overnight. And I think one of the exciting things, certainly for people like me, is that we can have the ethical, moral, societal, regulatory debates now rather than bolting them on as an afterthought, which, which is what we've done, if you like, with the first kind of wave of the internet. I think if we can have those debates, the technological engineering and the kind of ethical regulatory debates in parallel, that will bode well for the future. You set out a lot of these things in this essay that I'm holding in my yes. hand here, Making the Metaverse, What Is It? How It Will Be Built and Why It Matters. I'm glad and impressed you got through it. Yeah, I did a bedtime reading last night. Um, uh, one of the things I found very interesting, one of the many things, was this idea, I think when uh, Facebook became meta, mm. some people thought, ah, right, they're, they're going to be the metaverse. That's oh, yeah. it. And the point you make very strongly here is, this is the interlinking of the various oh, metaverses. Or could you give us some expla explanation of how you see kind of the architecture or you've even built a little diagram in there. Could you talk us through that a little yes. bit? Yes, and, and it's terribly important, this. I mean, uh, um, everyone should, should breathe easily. The, the ambition of Meta and Mark Zuckerberg is not, to be, is not to create some sort of empire in the sky which will be owned by Meta and, and, and governed by one company. Far from it. The metaverse will come into being Candidly, regardless of whether we as a company are pinning our colors to it or not, we, we are just going to be one of many uh, companies who are investing heavily in the technology. You know, so is Microsoft and Google and Apple and so on. And I think, I think here's the thing. Um, it, it won't be sort of one thing. It, you know, it, it, no one talks about the Google Internet or the Microsoft Internet. Um, there are certainly only at the moment a couple of operating systems iOS and Android, I actually think the, that the metaverse could become a slightly more diverse sort of patchwork, if you like, of, of uh, operating systems upon which then different, um, like sort of different floors in a building, upon which then different companies will build different experiences, either sort of worlds and experiences which people can join in a semi-public space or places where you and I could book a, a room and have a private conversation might be held on the server of Meta, but it'll be very much a private space, which 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 you know doesn't really belong to anyone else, you know, other than than ourselves. And to your question, I think the key thing to consider now, early on, before sort of facts are, are already laid laid you know baked into the cake of the technology, is to make sure that that patchwork quilt doesn't become too segmented, so that as a user, you can move from one part of the metaverse to the other. You know, I'm a, I'm an Arsenal fan. I very much hope Arsenal. I'm, you know, doubt it's going to happen, but very much hope Arsenal today will will qualify for for Champions League. And I would then want to buy a, a celebratory Arsenal uh, shirt in the metaverse. And I'd want to go from one part of the metaverse to the other. Maybe go with some friends to hear some music, or go with some friends to a discussion group. And I think the key, key it will be key for users to be able to move seamlessly from one part of the metaverse to the other. And for that you will need a complex but essential web of rules, 
standards, interoperable um, uh, interfaces, uh, uh, which may be uh, forged by the industry, by standard setting bodies, possibly by regulators as well. And it's one point which I think is crucial, because if we don't do that, I think the promise of the metaverse could be squandered mm -hmm by what may turn out to be a, a splinterverse. People talk about the splinter net, which is certainly a real risk. I think there is equally a real risk, if we're not attentive to this, that, that, that you, you see in the future, in many years to come, a splinterverse. And that would be a great shame. It's quite different from what we have now. I mean, we have the World Economic Forum podcast. No, we have the World Economic Forum podcast club on Facebook, which I urge everyone to join. But you, you have to be on Facebook to get there. Yeah. What you're saying in the metaverse you could still have that, but you could also have something where people could arrive in that room and that discussion group right. from different parts of the metaverse or the internet. Correct, exactly. I think, I think it'd be a great shame if we all, I mean, look, candidly, I, I think we're already in danger in the current sort of setup on the internet to have too many sort of walled gardens. So if you, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing this to throw them under the bus, but if you look at the kind of walled garden that Apple is highly successful, you know, they sell, they sell the fancy hardware, they run the operating system, and now they, you know, now they also sell you the services, the music, the television, and so on. And there's a huge sort of, you know, pull for people to be locked into that kind of Apple world and not and not escape from it. And I, I don't think we should repeat that mistake in in the metaverse. I think we should allow users and empower users to move more easily from the Meta Metaverse to the Apple Metaverse to the Microsoft Metaverse in the future. And at a meeting like this, is that the kind of thing? that will be discussed. You'll meet people from, you know, senior positions from those companies. You're going to meet regulators from all over the world and politicians. Uh, are, the, are those discussions happening now to, to say, okay, we need to get together to ensure this will be interoperable or start the conversation going on that? Yeah, and, and, and the World Economic Forum is playing a really, uh, I think, a really important catalytic role, which is that, uh, as will be announced this week, um, the World Economic Forum is sort of hosting and running a forum which will bring together academics, thinkers, regulators, online safety experts, people like me from Meta, my counterparts from Google, Microsoft, uh, and, and, and smaller companies too, to start having this conversation. Because candidly, we're only just starting to have the conversation, which is, you know, Principally, my motivation for writing this 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 piece, which is to sort of start trying to kind of get the ball rolling in these kind of discussions, and I, I think it's great that uh, the World Economic Forum is 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 helping to kind of host that discussion because that's the kind of thing we need if we're going to anticipate the the need for those rules uh, in the years to come. In the metaverse, are the risks that are already there in the internet as we know it today of hate speech, bullying? privacy problems, perhaps government surveillance, all these risks that are there. Will that be greater for any reason in the metaverse? Well, they'll clearly, you'll always have those issues with any sort of form of communication, any form of, you know, sort of technological communication. But I think it's very important to remember how different this technology will be to what we're used to. And, and one concern I have is that people think that the solution to those legitimate concerns about safety, about you know, unpleasant content about so on and so forth, is to sort of just copy and paste the rule book that, that, that either governments or regulators or companies such as ours have developed over the years to keep people safe on our platform, because it's a very different way of communicating. You know, when you post on Facebook, it's there, it stays there. People share it, it circulates, it goes viral on the internet. Communication in the metaverse, not in, not exclusively, but overwhelmingly, will be much more like everyday life. 
ephemeral. You know, just you say it and then it disappears. It's not, you know, no one keeps a record of it. And, and you wouldn't, in a sense, want either the government or Mark Zuckerberg or any regulators kind of peering over your shoulder, monitoring every word you say in real time, just as you wouldn't want that when you're just having a chat with a mate in a, in a, in, in a pub. You know, one of the very sort of cornerstones of freedom is that we can sort of talk nonsense to each other uh, in privacy, in our own living rooms or in, you know, you know in, 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 in other places where we, where we congregate. Um, and I think particularly for those private spaces in the metaverse, that's the way you need to think about it. I think in the more public spaces, there'll be some more open places where people congregate. I think there, the rules will be a little bit more familiar to, or will feel a little bit more familiar to what we have now. But I think in those private spaces, you know, five people get together to, to play chess. And one of them has got some seriously odious political views that, you know, might, if he expressed them on Facebook, would fall foul of our rules. You wouldn't want. You wouldn't want Facebook charging and saying, "Aha, no, you can't say that." While you're just, you know, moving, uh, you know, moving the knight to to uh, to shifts up the up the up the chessboard. You know, that, that, so we'll need to we'll need to construct a different conceptual framework by which we decide who is responsible to monitor and enforce those rules at what level of the of the stack. If you you know, I referred earlier to this this kind of picture of the, you know, like the floors of a house. And I think the uh, the responsibilities will lie with sort of different entities at different levels of that stack. Is there anything you'd like to see either in your own domain or in the wider world that's been discussed here um, that you'd like to see come out of this annual meeting at Davos? When it comes to the metaverse, you mean? No, I mean, you could pick that or and or anything else. Oh, well, I, I mean, okay, like, like, I, think it, I, think, I think like everybody here, um, the, 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 you know, the horrific bloodshed and conflict in Ukraine looms large, you know, larger than you know, anything else. So I, I, like everybody else, will be, you know, listening out for people who've got insights into that conflict. And, and of course, it takes place at a, at a time when... Um, you know the early promise of a seamless, borderless, you know, globalized economic order is uh, is fraying at the edges. And one of the great ironies, I think, of our age is that technology and economics pushes towards globalization, but politics and conflict propel society in the opposite direction. And you can see that in the internet. I mean, there is a real danger, as I said earlier, that the internet is fragmenting, is balkanizing. You have a Chinese internet, you have a Russian internet, you have a Turkish internet, you have a Vietnamese internet. It is sort of, we might, I think there's a danger that we might look back in 10 years time and think that this is actually the high point of the open global internet. So I, I would, I will certainly be listening out, particularly for decision makers, to hear how committed they are to try and really keep data flows open keep the global internet open because we're taking it for granted and once it's gone i think we will we will we will lament its loss we really will nick clegg president for global affairs at meta thanks for joining us on radio davos thank you please subscribe to radio davos wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review and join the conversation on the world economic forum podcast club on facebook this episode of radio davos was presented by me robin pomeroy sound engineering was by juan toron and studio production was by gareth nolan we'll be back next week but for now thanks to you for listening and goodbye <laughs>